Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, May 17th. We're halfway through the provincial election campaign and advanced polls open up next Tuesday. We get the latest on the campaign trail of both major parties from Global News Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken. Next, it's our monthly chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. This time out, we discuss the federal government's proposed changes to bail reform in our country and what impact the changes could have in the battle against crime. And finally, a WestJet pilot strike is looming. What needs to be done to protect customers grounded by cancellations and airline hiccups? We discuss the situation with Gabra Lukacs, president of the Air Passenger Rights Advocacy Group. We are past the midway point in the election campaign. Tomorrow night, the one and only leaders debate, which you can check out at 6 p.m. on global television and right here on QR Calgary. Polls are showing just about any income, uh, any outcome rather, might be possible. What a perfect time to check in again with our political, our chief political correspondent, David Aiken. Good morning to you once again, David. Appreciate your time. No problem. How you doing, guys? I hope you're breathing okay. We're seeing the smoke here in Ottawa, if you can believe oh, it. Oh, wow. Not. That's right. The smoke has got not as bad as you guys are getting it, but uh, everybody in the country knows about these wildfires. I know you guys got it thick in, the smoke thick in Calgary. Yeah, we're starting to see people. It looks like the middle of COVID wearing masks again. We're doing what we can. and uh, bet. We appreciate that. It is, it's kind of a big deal for sure. Also the big deal, yes, just the days away when you look at it for the election past that halfway point. I know you're a big fan of paying close attention to the timing and location of some of the party announcements, trying to figure out which way things are going. So let's start with the NDP's big day yesterday, David. What can you tell us? Yeah, so, I mean, you've probably been seeing lots of polls that have one party up, one party down. We got a poll out this morning from Ipsos, Toes, you know, it's a tight race. I look at what, what are the parties talking about. Yesterday, the NDP launched their platform. First of all, where did they launch their platform? In Calgary, of course, because the game's in Calgary. They're actually in the riding of Calgary Buffalo. That is Joe Cece's riding, New Democrat, incumbent. Remember, he was... He was uh, Rachel Notley's finance minister when Notley was in government. But he really wasn't the featured player for this platform announcement. They brought in Shannon Phillips from Lethbridge West. Uh, Phillips is the finance critic. So she was front and center for the platform announcement. Then Notley held a big rally in Calgary, Buffalo last night there. And then where did the UCP send someone out to respond to this platform announcement? to Calgary, Buffalo again. It was Brian Jean. Brian Jean, of course, is running way up in Fort McMurray, Lac La Biche, but he was in Calgary. You get the point here is Calgary is clearly where the game is at. But what's interesting is over the last couple of days, NDP talking up uh, economy, tax policy. On Monday, Notley was in, wait for it, Calgary, Buffalo, <laughs> to announce that she would, she would cut the uh, small business tax to zero. That, by the way, has been in the NDP platform, I think, since 2012. So that's they've trotted this out. The point is, the NDP, before this campaign started, I think all the polls said, Albertans said, hey, I, I like the NDP for health care. But now they're trying to reach persuadable voters by saying, no, no, we can manage the economy, cost of living, because that is a top-of-mind topic. And on the flip side, the UCP, before the campaign started, the UCP, everybody, all the polls said, UCP seen as best when it comes to managing cost of living issues. But where was Danielle Smith on the weekend? She was up in Calgary, Beddington, uh, sort of on the north, as you start to get sort of north and west of the city. Calgary, Bedding is a UCP riding. Josephine Pond won there last time, beating New Democrat Amanda Chapman. Pond and Chapman are going to go at it again this year. Um, but what was Smith doing? First of all, she's playing defense, trying to support her candidate in Calgary, Beddington. But she was at a daycare center, a preschool daycare center, talking about women's health and children's health. Why is that? Again, every poll is consistent on this, including ours from Ipsos today. There is a big gender gap. 
men very much prefer the UCP, particularly men above 55. Women, particularly women aged 25 to 44, love the NDP. Smith and the UCP need to bridge that gender gap to a degree in order to bring it home in Calgary. And so that's why you see Smith out there talking up women's and children's health in a riding very much in play. So at this point in the campaign, interesting to see NDP talking about the things that were not necessarily their strength, economy, UCP talking about the things not necessarily their strength, and that's health care. And the last thing I, I wanted to point out, I don't know if you saw this, Daniel Smith doesn't make everything she does on her itinerary public, but you follow her Twitter feed, you see where she's going. She was in her riding last night, Brooks Medicine had. She was at a local All Canada's debate. I've covered, I don't know, 30, 40 elections. I can't remember the last time I saw the leader of a major party, and, and particularly the incumbent premier, at the local All Candidates debate in a riding where it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Smith's going to win, Brooks Medicine Hat. But there she was. I'm old school. I'll go to an All Candidates debate any day of the week. So I say kudos to candidate Smith for showing up at her local All Candidates debate. And apparently, she says on her social feed, Smith is going to do another local All Candidates debate uh, tonight in Medicine Hat. So there you go. Certainly nothing random when it comes to an election and leading up to it, except for the things that often can go quickly viral because a candidate might say something controversial. We've had that happen a couple of times so far in this race. David, you wanted to highlight two instances, for example. I did, and these things aren't necessarily these are things that aren't necessarily random. Opposing war rooms dig up uh, what's called opposition research on things that controversial things the other guy said. Let me start in Livingston McLeod. This is a riding goes south of the city. It's down on the southwest corner, and uh, there's no incumbent here. So uh, the UCP candidate is Chelsea Petrovic. The NDP candidate is Kevin Van Tegum. Kevin Van Tegum, the NDP candidate, on a podcast a couple of years ago, said, you know, people who work in the oil and gas industry are like slaves, and Alberta is addicted to the oil and gas things. A lot of very anti-oil and gas comments. Van Tegum has since tried to walk them back. And I, I got to tell you, I don't think Van Tegum had a chance to win this riding to begin with. It's a very conservative part of the province. But even though this is Livingston McLeod, where people may not have been paying attention, his comments give the chance for the UCP and the rest of the province to go, aha, you can't trust the NDP on oil and gas. Now, I mentioned Livingston McLeod because the UCP candidate there, again, her name is Chelsea Petrovic. She's the mayor in Claire's home. She's also a nurse. And a couple of months ago on a podcast, this nurse, Chelsea Petrovic, the candidate, said, if you have a heart attack, that's your responsibility. You need to take some accountability for your heart attacks. Now, this gives New Democrats everywhere else in the province to say, ah, see, you can't trust the UCP on health care. So these kind of comments, two candidates in a part of the, the, the province that I don't think a lot of people necessarily would have paid attention to, Livingston McLeod, a lot of people started paying attention to when these comments came up. We saw it, uh, I think, just yesterday, the day before, up in Lacombe, Pinoca, north of Red Deer. The UCP candidate there, Jennifer Johnson, making some uh, comments that were called transphobic. Uh, Jennifer Johnson, apparently on a podcast, uh, you know, last fall, said the presence of transgender kids in our schools uh, spoils it for everybody. She was, she was, it was quite transphobic, and she was condemned for those comments by her opponents, called on to resign. Of some interest in this particular riding, Jennifer Johnson has homeschooled all her kids, so they're not in the public school system. And her new Democrat opponent, Dave Dale, uh, he is a grade six teacher. Uh, so he's been in the public school system for 20 years. But again, here's some comments made by 
in a riding, Lacombe Pinocchio, I don't think we were watching. We think it's going to go conservative. It has, you know, for, for a long time. Um, but those, those comments now showing up, and I'm going to come back to Calgary because that's where all the persuadable voters are. So you will have voters in Calgary going, can I really trust the NDP on oil and gas? Can I really trust the UCP on education and health care? And the answer from those voters in Calgary who are on the, on the edge, those are the ones going to decide the election. That, that's why these comments are all important. Mm -hmm. You know, David, we're 12 days away from the election, and it's next Tuesday that the advance polls open. Got about 30 seconds left, but are you expecting a, expecting a similar pattern from each party or anything uh, different to be happening in the next 12 days? Well, let me just talk about those advance polls. Alberta is, is, has been really innovative in you can vote anywhere in the province on advanced polling days and it's going to count in your riding. So if for chance you were visiting friends in Edmonton and you were up in West Edmonton Mall but you live in Calgary Beddington, you can vote in West Edmonton Mall and it'll count in Calgary Beddington. You can't do that in a federal election, you can't do that in BC, Saskatchewan, it's unique to Alberta and it, in 2019 the advanced voting was through the roof, it was really popular. So both parties will be doing their utmost to get you to vote. If you're traveling, you know, starting next Tuesday, They'll say, doesn't matter, you can come and vote. That's really unique. And, of course, uh, Elections Alberta allows you to vote uh, at the local returning office right now. On any day of the election, you can go to your local returning office and cast your ballot. And that's probably more of an issue about these alternative ways to vote for folks up around Edmonton in those ridings affected by the wildfires um, where they're going to need to probably vote somewhere Elections Alberta is not going to postpone this election, it doesn't look like, but they're definitely going to be reaching out and telling people about these alternative ways to cast your ballot. Elections Alberta has these contingency plans and other innovative plans to make sure everybody has the chance to cast your ballot. No excuse not to vote. Absolutely correct on that one. Elections.ab.ca for details. Thanks for breaking it down, David. Okay, guys, have a great morning. You too, David Aiken, Global's chief political correspondent. Each month, we have the opportunity to check in and chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld, talk about all the issues facing our city. Chief Newfeld joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Chief. Uh, good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andy. Uh, first off, congratulations. You will be Calgary's police chief for the next four years, I believe. So congratulations on that. Where you know, I think, and, and I hope that everyone would agree in your membership as well, obviously getting the vote of confidence to, to keep pushing forward and making this city even better than it was before. But, do, you know, when it comes to that, do you sort of, when that happens and you get your contract extended, do you put together a, a list of the things that you want to achieve or just kind of follow up on and continue working towards? Well, I think it's a combination of both. I think a little bit of this has to do with the uh, four-year budget cycle and the plan that went forward in preparation for the budget. So really, it's a bit of an endorsement, I think, to say, you know, the service is going in a good direction, and now go ahead and implement that plan. But, uh, you know, largely, Sue, as I've said before, it's not really a reflection of me as much as it is a reflection of the good work being done by the men and women of the service. All right, let's talk about the bail reform, something that's been very much in focus on the federal level and the federal government proposing changes to it to target uh, repeat offenders. Why is it significant and, and, and will it really make a difference, Chief? Well, you know, yesterday was uh, Mr. Lametti announced Bill C-48, as, as we heard. And so really at this point, it's a it's a concept, a bill that'll go forward for debate and, and it'll become law at some point. So right now, um, you know, I think it's encouraging. This is sort of down the lines of what we've been calling for. And there'd been unanimous calls from, you know, politicians at all levels and community police, police governance, that there needed to be a change. And I think this is a very practical piece because what we're seeing is we're dealing with people who are uh, violent offenders 
who, you know, we know from their history, they are not compliant with conditions and can't be managed in the community, yet they continue to be out. And so as we see increasing levels of violent crime in our community, we know this is one of the areas that, that you know, a small number of individuals can actually create or cause a disproportionate amount of crime. And these are the folks that we're hoping to see uh, impacted by these reforms. So we'll see how it flows out. But I actually think that this is a common sense piece. And I think it's down the, down the lines of what we had asked for. So. Chief, uh, if the provincial election just around the corner, and there have certainly been some things that have been brought up. One of them is a UCP proposal about the Compassionate Intervention Act, where a family member, doctor, psychologist, police officer could petition uh, to have somebody put into treatment, whether they, they want to comply or not. How do you and CPS feel about, about this idea, this concept? Were you even talked to about it and, and what that might look like for officers who, who have to put this into play? Yeah, I have heard the discussions uh, previously about the concept of it. I think it sort of is a, another plank in sort of the, the recovery-oriented system of care. And, and I do think it's important. I mean, right now we don't see a lot of details as to how it would roll out. But I think it's important, you know, from what I've heard, it wouldn't be, you know, where we're going and taking people off the street. Um, this is a last sort of ditch uh, or last, you know, ditch sort of approach there for people who are either, you know, the most addicted or the most sick and probably the most disconnected from family and supports. So they're, they're really sort of folks that are lost in the community um, and, and probably need that type of help. And this is something that, that is proposed, as I understand it, to be done under the, um, um, you know, the watch of the courts and stuff like that through application. So, so it, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, moves forward. Chief, ever since the advent of the automobile, well, maybe not to the Model T, but ever since we've had cars on the road, street racing has been something that happens in major cities, no different the city of Calgary. And again, over time, it's still happening in just different models of cars as we move deeper and further down the line uh, and some faster, some shiny toys. CPS, how do you address street racing? Because it's going to happen. And obviously, it's the safety aspect we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. So we've seen, you know, over the years, um, as you say, this has been, a, been an issue that's, that's come up again and again. For the most part, I think we've been able to get uh, support, voluntary support from the car enthusiast community. Uh, I'm one of those folks, actually. I, I really enjoy cars myself. Uh, but, you know, we've all seen the videos coming out of some of the, um, some of the industrial areas, uh, which are pretty shocking. And I think uh, it takes you about a nanosecond to realize that that's unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, we've been working with the community, uh, trying to get that voluntary compliance and, and, uh, and work together. But, you know, it's, there's just a bit of a different tone. There's been some people who are absolutely non-compliant and absolutely uncooperative. And then that's where we have to go to enforcement. And so I, I would just say this, you know, there's a lot going on in the city right now. And our officers' attention needs to be in a lot of places. And so... We would rely on that voluntary compliance and common sense when it comes to things that are clearly and manifestly unsafe. And if we're not going to get that, then we're going to move to enforcement. And I would just say that, you know, some of the stuff that we've seen going on on those, those are open roads down there, uh, notwithstanding the fact they're quiet roads, they're open roads. And, and that is simply not on. What kind of a ticket, what kind of points uh, are up for grabs when you're caught stunting or racing, that sort of thing? What's that look like in terms of a ticket? Yeah, so it, it depends. If it's a speeding ticket, it would depend on how much uh, you're over. It's kind of a graduated system in terms of the fine. Um, if people are stunting, like, you know, we've seen um, video of people, you know, blowing donuts and this type of thing. And so that would be a stunting ticket. That's an expensive ticket, not only in terms of what you pay uh, for the fine, but also it's it's a pretty hard hit to your insurance. 
Um, and then if you're driving really unsafely, that could be a criminal code charge of dangerous driving, which is probably the most serious. So at the end of the day, um, I think, you know, th there's there's a list of different types of um, penalties and consequences. And I, I think it's very avoidable. So um, I would just encourage people to, to use that common sense lens. Gee, if it wouldn't be a conversation with you, a monthly conversation with you, at least over the past uh, handful of months, if we didn't talk about safety in the city's downtown core, the city streets and uh, the LRT, transit on mass if you will uh, where are we at now with this have we seen some progress from the uh, eyes of the cps i believe we have i think at the end of the day really the progress comes from you know the people using the the system um the perceptions there are really what's most important we've we've focused on it uh, very significantly as you know in partnership with calgary transit and also then kind of separately with respect to the ongoing um, pilot project we have going with the sheriffs which will go till until the end of the month um, so yeah so anecdotally a lot of good feedback from calgarians lots of uh, you know good photos and stuff being posted about interactions with the police and uh, people happy to see you know uniforms out there but more to do i think this is a complex problem and i think as we know um, there's a seasonal issue to it as well. There's, you know, it, it'll move a little bit out into the community and then back on. So I think, you know, the work being done, the ongoing work and the ongoing commitment with the partners to get the right level of resources in the right places at the right time, I think is really important uh, as well. But I think, as I say, an anecdotally, certainly a positive um, response to the work being done thus far. Chief, an interesting uh, tweet that came out May 14th from uh, Constable Chris Martin, who, who's very vocal on social media. He's, he's great to, to follow. And he said uh, that the, night, the previous night from this tweet that he was assaulted while arresting a suspect. And it's not unique to me or to his team. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, officers and sort of, I, I don't know, like not obviously can't break down everything that's going on, but how are things for your officers on the streets these days? Is it a dangerous place out there? as much as we think that it might be? Well, just for starters, Chris and other uh, members of CPS do a great job of mm -hmm. humanizing the badge, I think, through some of those posts that you're talking about and helping people, just taking a moment to actually explain some of the things that they're going through. Yeah. I think, you know, I see the reactions to those posts and people stop and think about things that they may not otherwise have. So, you know, I think when there's, you know, when there's um, really high profile incidents where somebody's really hurt or whatever, you know, we tend to hear about those. But I think Chris's point was from day to day, this is the reality right now for police. And I, I'm very concerned as well across the country in the increasing number of people that are, you know, that are openly non-compliant, that are, that are disrespectful and that don't comply when, uh, you know, perhaps they're, they need to be uh, arrested or they've got warrants or whatever and that, and that resist arrest and assault officers. And in most of the cases, you know, nobody gets hurt, but these are the things that we can't as a society tolerate, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the folks that are out there on our behalf, keeping our community safe, um, we, we can't be okay with those people being abused and, and being assaulted. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the reality. Uh, right now, there's more weapons, there's more people dealing with mental health issues. Um, there's just, you know, officers have to be careful. Um, I think the, the job is such that you always had to be careful. But I would say that we're seeing, you know, more violence directed towards officers uh, and more individuals struggling than, than we have in the preceding probably five to ten years. Thanks for your time this morning, Chief. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Have a great day, you guys. You too. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. Yesterday, President of the Air Passenger Rights Advocacy Group, Gabor Lukic, testified before a Senate Transport Committee regarding the government's proposed amendments to the air passenger protection regime. We can dig into that. Uh, but Gabor joins us this morning to discuss what is front and present 
the impact of the WestJet pilot strike and the customers, you, the customers who have trips planned or are planning a trip in the next little while or into the summer. Good morning to you, Gabor. Good morning. Uh, let, let's break this down and, and the timing of this, you know, strike action, potentially seeing, uh, you know, pilots on the picket line on Friday morning. How big of an impact could this have on the airline industry in Canada? It is going to have a significant impact on WestJet and WestJet's passengers because without pilots, you cannot fly. Uh, when when WestJet, uh, one of the signs I've seen is uh, something to the fact that, that without us, you don't go anywhere. Well, that's quite true and it's accurate. So, you know, if people do get their flights canceled by WestJet. Should the strike actually go ahead? We, we're hoping that it won't, but should it go ahead and, and the pilots go out? What happens to people then who have a flight booked, Gabor? I mean, what do they do? Is there any recourse? Or are you just out of luck? If your flight has been canceled because of the strike, then WestJet has to buy you a ticket on another airline if it is unable to transport you on one of its own flights, which it won't be able to do so because of the strike within 48 hours. And they also have to offer you the option of a full refund in the original form of payment. Um, and that would also include any segments that no longer serve a purpose. And if you get stuck at a connecting point, they even have to ship you back home to your, your point of origin if uh, that's what you would like. Uh, I expect WestJet is going to be somewhat combative about these rights, even though they are clearly set out in the law. Uh, but ultimately, passengers uh, should, in my view, first wait and see whether their flight is cancelled. Then they should give WestJet one chance to rebook them in accordance with the law. And if WestJet refuses to do so, if WestJet offers something five days later, which is unreasonable, and there is an Air Canada flight earlier, and WestJet wouldn't rebook them on that, the passenger may want to go out and buy a ticket on their own and then make WestJet pay for uh, those extra expenses because WestJet broke its legal contractual obligations to the passenger. Let's, let's break this down, though, also, Gabber, because it seems to me when it comes to health insurance and I'm traveling, I, I make sure that I'm covered, me and my family, whoever I'm traveling with. But when it comes to, like, cancellation insurance and, and such, I've avoided that in the past. Is this the new reality, Gabor, that we have to get insurance in case there's cancellation for whatever reason and it comes out of our pocket to already the, the high cost of air travel to begin with? Cancellation insurance typically applies to a situation when you have to cancel a travel because, say, um, you get injured or one of your loved ones get injured. It's typically health-related in practice or or depending on the coverage, maybe some other circumstances that are covered. Uh, situation when the airline cancels are rarely covered by insurances. You may have special insurance to that as well, but I would very closely watch the, the, the fine print. What Canada really needs is a proper passenger protection regime because for those budget passengers who are booked to fly on Friday from a European airport to Canada, and therefore they are, they are benefiting from the European gold standard of passenger protection, WestJet will have to pay them uh, not just for an alternate flight, but also for meals, hotels, and a lump sum compensation of up to 600 euros, because Europe has a proper passenger protection regime. So was that what you were, you were in front of the uh, Senate Transport Committee yesterday? Was that what you were talking about? Or can you break down what you, what the conversation was about there? 
It, it was one of the issues, although uh, there are some far more, more greater, more impactful aspects hidden in the uh, budget bill. Uh, the government proposes to create a new dispute resolution, new adjudication process for commercial disputes between passengers and airlines, which would be secretive, um, like a star chamber with confidential evidence being used and the public and the media would not have any access to the evidence and the reasons being used for rendering a legally binding decision. That is a very serious concern in terms of freedom of expression and freedom of press, because it's for more than a century, the so-called open court principle has been established in common law, uh, UK law, Canadian law. Um, it's one of the fundamental uh, principles that has been hailed as the hallmark of a democratic society to ensure that when someone acts as a adjudicator in, in a dispute between adversarial parties, that process has to be public and transparent. And that's what the government is seeking to undo. That is also going to harm passengers in a sense that um, the airline's uh, shabby corporate conduct will remain hidden from the public eye. And that's a concern. Yeah, but obviously Additional we issues is... Go ahead. is that there would be no right of appeal and the government seeks to confer on the Canadian Transportation Agency an excessively broad guideline-making power that the agency would effectively be able to change the law while bypassing the normal system of checks and balances where, you know, normally if you want to publish regulation, it has to go to the Privy Council, it has to be examined by the Deputy Minister of Justice, then it gets published in Gazette, and then uh, Parliament's committees always have a right to vet and review and study those regulations, and that is also taken away with respect to the guidelines the agency would be able to make. Gabber, you know, this is your passion. It's your fight. This is your specialty. And we've spoken with you on the program many times. And I know that the work that you've done is because this has been an issue for Canadian travelers for, for quite some time, not in just the past few years, but years and years. Is there another model? This is a question I don't think we've ever asked you about. Is there another model on the globe where, you know, citizens of a country being served by an airline or airlines are, are treated properly and the passengers have many more rights and, and we should look at a model like that? The European Union's uh, regime is the gold standard for passenger protection. Even their airlines sometimes don't want to comply, but they but there is there is a regime where compliance and enforcement is possible. In Canada, the biggest problem we have been having is that the regulations were written in such a way that even with the best of intentions, enforcement is very difficult and there are lots and lots of loopholes. They were written by the airlines for the airlines. And the other topic I spoke about yesterday before the Senate uh, Transport Committee is that uh, the government's budget bill is not removing those loopholes. All they are doing is shifting it from the primary legislation, the act or the statute, if you will, into regulations, but the loophole is going to remain. And this is also the reason that uh, we urged uh, the Senate to consider uh, implementing amendments in the form of adopting uh, portions of a private, member, private member's bill, Bill C-327 by NDP transport critic Taylor Bachrach, which actually would harmonize Canada's uh, passenger protection regime with the European unions in in a way of hard coding the key elements in the primary legislation in a way that no regulator, no government will be able to mess with it.
so how do we do that? How do we, I mean, your voice is, is one that's very loud. I know you're, you speak everywhere. You're, you're always out there pushing and advocating for we, the passengers. How do we, the passengers, push for our own rights and make sure that we are protected moving forward? How do we make that happen? For, for now, the, the main push could happen through a petition on the House of Commons website. Um, uh, that's petition number 4376, um, where in which we are calling on the government to adopt the private member's bill, Bill C-327, as a government legislation. So far, we have close to 2,500 signatures. Any resident of Canada can sign that petition, and the petition number is, again, 4376. If you go to the uh, website of the House of Commons, and their petitions, you can find it. And um, the more signatures we get, the better the odds are that the government will have no choice but to listen to the public. All right, thank you so much for the update, Gabber, and the work that you do. Uh, I know that this is not over yet, but all we can do is keep mm. moving the ball further down the road, kicking that can. Thank you so much, Gabber. Thank you very much for having me. That is Gabber Lukacs, president of the Air Passengers Rights Advocacy Group.